0: coming up perfect in all your ways perfect in all your ways i don't know how your 2022 has been but i'm sure there's been times when you felt it's not been perfect I'm sure there's been times when you've felt that that the plan that you had in your mind was better than what actually happened. I know that over this past year we've had bereavement, we've had heartache. Some have had financial troubles and situations. Some have had work problems. Some have had family problems. Some have just had the stress of living in Cyprus. And yet, we sang, perfect in all your ways. That can be very perplexing for us at times. It can be very difficult. It can be very challenging. And as we look into 2023, we know in the one hand, as we sang, that God is going to be perfect in all his ways. But we don't know what the future holds. And I'm sure that there is anxiety and I'm sure that there is concern and that concern may be something that needs to happen in this coming week or in this coming month or the days and months ahead. I'm sure many of you want to escape the island and go to the promised land of Canada or the US or the UK and that's what your plans and your thoughts are and the perplexing is, well, perhaps God's perfect ways are for you to stay here or to go home. Maybe your plan and your ideas is to get that degree, to get that undergrad sorted out this year, to get that thesis finished, to get that PhD nailed. And it could well be that your nice tutor frustrates you and your university keeps you for at least another semester and you have more bills and more things to pay perfect in all your ways. It's easy to say. It's easy to sing. But do we really mean it? Do we really know it? we we'll are be looking at this passage in Deuteronomy in chapter 3 and it's towards the end of Moses' life. And Moses says to the Lord, in verse 23, we take up the reading, and it says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord, God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. It was towards the end of Moses' life. They'd just seen two great victories. And we pick this up, and this is a prayer. And some people have suggested this passage is a model for prayer. So the first point I want to take is a model for prayer. We see here Moses, and he is praying pleading with God and this is a very strong word this is a very emotive word it is a, a, a real coming and, and, and beseeching and begging and, and pleading with God the, the root word has its original meaning in, in taking pity, showing compassion and, and Moses was wanting the Lord to show him compassion and the, Moses wanting the Lord to, to, to do something for him and he is pleading with him at that time and we can see in our mind's eye this, this older man there and, and he's coming in all his seniority and all his leadership and, and he's left that behind and he's bowing before the Lord and he's pleading with the Lord and he is earnestly praying. And so we see this example of someone who is earnestly and sincerely praying. And Moses starts his prayer... With adoration. He starts his prayer with praise. It's just like the Lord's prayer in that way, isn't it? He says, O Lord, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth? Who can do such works as mighty acts as yours? He is honoring, he is extolling the almighty God. He is coming in his prayer with his pleading, but before he pleads, he honors God. He exalts God. He, he says, this is who you are, your, your greatness, your mighty hand. Who is like you in heaven or earth? Who can do these great things? And as he adores God, as he praises God in his prayers, just like how the Lord's prayer starts, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He then goes on. And he goes on to make supplication. He goes on to, to make request. He goes on in his pleading. And he has a particular request. He's praying and saying, please let me go over and see the good land beyond Jordan. That good hill country and Lebanon. And so we see a man who is pleading. We see a man who is coming with adoration and praise and extolling the honor and the glory of God. We see a man who then comes on and brings his supplication to the Lord. And so yes, we we could use this passage of scripture as a model for prayer. And that is an application that we could take away. We could say that it's good to plead with God. It's good to adore Him. It's good to bring our supplications with Him. But this is not the main application that I want us to concentrate on. Because I just want to point something out here. You see, Moses' prayer was a prayer of passion. It was a, it was a model prayer in that it came with Adoration, it came with supplication, it came with passion. But do you know what? Moses' prayer didn't get answered as Moses wanted. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 26, it says, but the Lord was angry with me. How can the Lord be angry with someone who is coming with great adoration and, and great supplication and, and praying with such passion? The Lord was angry with me because you would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. See, God had made it clear to Moses that he was not going to make it into the promised land. And it's because of what happened at Meribah, and then that story that we read earlier at the beginning of the service in Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, we have the story told that the people needed water, and, and there was no water. And Moses there and Aaron went in before the Lord, and the Lord gave them particular instructions of what to do. And Moses didn't do it. Moses did something different. He didn't speak. He struck the, the rock and, and this is what the Lord says in verse 20, verse 12 of chapter 20 of Numbers. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that i have given them his prayer was not answered it was not answered in the way that he wanted because he was praying against god's will god's will was clearly here given to him told to him that he would not bring them into the assembly And you cannot pray against God's will. Your prayers will never make your will or desire greater than God's. And even Jesus, God's Son, prayed, Not my will be done, but yours. And so, I'm not going to put this passage forward to you now as, as a model of prayer. As the main point. But I want to bring out another point And that is something that we can say from this passage that's really important for us. And that is sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. You see, we're going to go into 2023. We're in 2023 now. And and just yesterday, many of you were gathered here. And in our time when we were gathered here, we were praying for forgiveness for the sins of this last year. And I'm sure you have sinned over this last year. I have sinned, you have sinned, we have sinned. And we're going into this new year. And sometimes there can be a temptation to think, if we get ourselves cleaned up on New Year's Eve, we can forget about the the old year, that's finished, that's cleaned, and then we can get on into the new year, and we can carry on just the same as... Before, we were talking about this last night at the crossover service. And yes, God's grace is immense, and God will forgive us for all trespasses. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. We can't go into 2023 holding on to cheap grace, just thinking that, Because we can be forgiven, and because we can be cleaned up at the end of the year, we can just carry on living how we want. And you may say to yourself, "I don't do, I don't think like that." The question is, do you live like that? We may think that's awful now, as we hear it now, but it can get into our lives, and that can be what happens. That this truth. That once saved, always saved can be wrongly applied. There's a great delight in knowing that we are held by the grip of grace, God's grace, and we are eternally His. But when that truth is wrongly applied, it can mean that we just mess around with sin. And this passage teaches us that sin has consequences and sin is not to be messed around or trifled with. Moses was forgiven for his sins and Moses is in heaven now because of Jesus' redeeming work on the cross. But Moses did not make it into the promised land because of sin because of disobedience, there was a consequence to his action. And then there can be consequences to our actions in this life too. You see, sin causes not just a problem to God, which is the problem, but there's a consequence that we can bear in our lives now that we see here. And, and Moses was upset by this. He was upset to the point that he was pleading with God that he would change his mind. He was pleading with God that he would be able to be let into the promised land, that he could lead God's people into the promised land. He'd done so much hard work for it, hadn't he? If you you track back over Moses' life, and we will do, we can see so much effort went into it. And he is denied that privilege and that pleasure and that delight of seeing God's people go into the promised land because he sinned. Sin has consequences. You maybe don't think of wasting time as sin, but it is. And as a consequence, you never have that time Again. Every hour scroll through Instagram is an hour you will never have again. Gambling may bring a moment of excitement, but for so many it brings financial ruin. Sexual immorality comes with consequences physical consequences, mental, emotional consequences. Right now there are people in the prison here in Lefkosha and they're there just because of a moment's lack of self-control. A moment's lack of self-control. And the consequence of their sin is they are in the prison. But worse than that, worse than the, the, those, those, those things that come around us and affect us personally in our everyday life, sin will stop you from growing. Growing spiritually. Growing more Christ-like. Sin will grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the, the, the one that we need to, to guide us and lead us in our life. Sin grieves him and our relationship with him. And as we've been going through our series in Corinthians, and as we'll be coming back to that next week, we, we were, you will know that sin breaks the unity of The church. Sin has consequences. And so friends, I trust that this will help motivate you in your personal war against sin. As we go into 2023, we, we need to be committed to, to warring against sin. And Moses goes on in this chapter four. He finishes his piece, his pleading in, in chapter three, and he goes in chapter four. And when we read beyond chapter four, as we read that first bit, and beyond, we realise that he is preparing the people to obedience. He's preparing for the people to, to, to live in the promised land. He, he's calling them to obedience. He's, he's telling them that idolatry and having foreign gods and things in the way of God is forbidden. He's telling them there is one God alone. And, and all these things would be really helpful themes for us to go into 2023. But the exhortation of obedience that Moses gives to the people, is best done in the light of who God is and what sin does. Friends, sin has a consequence. Sin kept Moses out of the promised land. And if we die in our sins... Sin keeps us from eternity with God. Sin has to be judged. And there's a consequence to sin in this life and there's an eternal consequence to unrepented sin and sin that's not been dealt with by the precious blood of Jesus. But I want us now more purposefully to be reminded of who God is as we start 2023. We can look at ourselves and we can see our shortcomings and our failures, and that's right and proper. But I want us to look to God as we go into 2023. And in this passage, we see the God of history. The God of history. And Moses, in his prayer, brings this to God in his adoration. And he says, Oh Lord, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. And when Moses spoke of greatness and mighty hand, what did he mean? And if we just go back a couple of... Uh, verses, a couple of paragraphs, we, we, we realize that the immediate context is a military victory. There was a military victory over Og, a military victory over Shion, these the, these kings, these great kings, these kingdoms, these kingdoms with fortified cities, these kingdoms with large uh, armies. And that's the context. God showed his greatness and his might And and as he says there in the verse uh, 22, it says, For you shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. The greatness of God, the might of God, had just given Moses these military battles, given him these military victories. These kings were powerful, these people were immense, but God enabled them to overcome them. But there's a wider context that gives us a greater understanding of God's greatness and God's might. And then for that, you need to flick back in your Bibles right to the beginning of Exodus. Because the beginning of Exodus is where the story of, of Moses starts. And, and the story of Moses starts in a remarkable way. Moses shouldn't have lived. Moses shouldn't have, have lived as a baby. Moses should have been killed as a baby. And right at the very beginning, in Exodus 2 uh, and and verses 1 to 10, we see that Moses is saved from death. God is Moses' savior from the beginning. He's taken up from the water in that basket where his parents have hidden him. And he's, in God's sovereignty and in God's power, in God's goodness, he's put into a privileged position in the house of Pharaoh. Right there, we see God's might. And Moses would have known this, and Moses would have remembered this. This was Moses' testimony. His testimony started from when he was a a tiny, tiny little baby, and he was brought out, and he was saved from death. And he had a privileged position. He was brought up in the, the Pharaoh's house. He was taught. He was educated. He had opportunity. He had prestige. He had all the things that many of you here are probably looking for and wanting for from life. Money was his. Privilege was his. Prestige and power and position were his. And yet in this, he still knows that he is a Hebrew. He still knows that he is a child of God. And he sees one of his other Hebrew men suffering under an Egyptian. And so his anger flares up. And his, self, his sense of self-justice flares up. And rather than letting God deal with this, he deals with it himself and he takes a man's life. We sometimes forget this, don't we? That Moses was a murderer. There at the beginning. He takes a life. And then the next day he comes and he sees two of his brothers, Hebrew brothers arguing and he goes to speak to them and they re- they know what's happened. And he realizes that his trying to sort out God's problems is not wise. And he has to run away from all the privilege. And yet God is looking after him. As he runs away into the wilderness, as we follow the story through in Exodus 2 and in verses 11 to 22, we realize that God has got his hand on him. God looks after him. God puts him in with the right people. God provides a wife for him. And in that time in the wilderness, God is honing him. God is speaking to him. God is training him. And God brings him to the burning bush. Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus is commissioned in a special way. The burning bush happens and Moses meets with Jesus in that burning bush and the Lord speaks to him. And in chapter 4, he is given a commission. He's given a work to do. He's told to go and, and rescue the Lord's people from Egypt and take them into the promised land. And his normal staff then turns into a snake. Miraculous things are happening. And in chapter 4 and verses 18, we read that he goes back in obedience to Egypt. Can you imagine how his heart was feeling? Am I going to be accepted? What's the king going to say? Are they going to remember what's happened in the past? I'm a marked man. And he goes back and he speaks in the court and he wants his people to be freed, but things get worse for them. And in chapter five, we see that things get worse. And the oppression upon God's people is greater. And it seems as though Moses is not doing what God wants him to do and the plan is not working. And Pharaoh hardens his heart and he doesn't want the people to go. He doesn't let, want them to go, and in verses, chapter 7, we, we read of his, him hardening his heart and saying no, and the, the little miracles of the stick into the snake and the leprosy on the hand and those things do nothing, and the magicians follow, and, and, and God then brings nine plagues on the Egyptians. This is the mighty hand of God that Moses has seen. He's seeing God bringing these plagues, bringing the darkness, bringing the locusts, turning the Nile into blood. God is doing these miraculous signs. And throughout this, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh started it, and God completed it. You need to be careful what you wish for. And Egypt and Pharaoh are humbled with the last plague. The last plague, the death of the firstborn. And this plague was going to affect the children of Israel too. And God's children are saved by the Passover. God's children are told by Moses to, to cut the lamb and to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts. And if the blood is on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass them over. And that's exactly what happened. The might and the power of God was demonstrated in that one night all the firstborn Egyptians were killed. They died. And all of God's people who put the blood over the door, who were trusting in the sacrifice, who were trusting in God's word, the angel of death passed them over. And in verse chapter 11 of Exodus, we see God's people, led by Moses, leaving. And they leave full. They don't leave empty. They take the gold. They, they ask it of their neighbors. And it's given to them. And they leave full. They leave with their cattle. They leave with their sheep. They leave wealthy. And then Pharaoh sends out his whole army. In chapter 13, we see this picture of the children of of Israel, this this great lot of people leaving. They're not military trained. They're families. The little ones are with them. Their wives are with them. Their livestock is with them. And they're behind them, coming in their chariots and all the warfare that they had at that time. The military might, the full military might of Egyptians is following after them. And it looks like it's all over. It looks like it's, that's it. Because God has led them on the side and there's mountains on the left and there's mountains on the right and there's a sea in front of them and then behind them the Egyptians are coming and they can hear them. And God in His power and His might brings a pillar of fire to give them light and to protect them at night. And a cloud, a pillar of cloud for day to show them and lead them and guide them to where they're going. In Exodus 13, 18 to 22, you read of that and you see it. And God is protecting them. But they're protected and the Egyptians are still behind them, breathing down their neck, and the sea is in front of them. And then God makes a way for them through the sea. The sea divides and they walk through it as a dry land and Moses is seeing this and Moses is experiencing the might and the greatness of God. And the Egyptian army follow and the Egyptian army go into the sea and then the Lord just turns around and destroys them all by bringing the sea back over them. The total Egyptian army is Utterly destroyed by the power and the might of God. And yet these people, they come out, they delight, they sing praise, and then they complain. They have no food. They have no water. They complain, and God gave them what they needed. Exodus chapter 15 through to 17, you read of their wanderings, you read of God providing them with water, providing them with food, providing them with manna, providing them with quails. And then in that same time in chapter 17, there was a battle and they won the battle. These uneducated, military educated people won the battle. God was showing his might. And then at Sinai, God comes down upon the mountain and again Moses experiences something of the wonder and the greatness of God and he wants to see more and he asks to see God's glory and he just sees the end of it because it's too great for him and while God, while Moses is on the mountain experiencing the greatness of God and receiving the 10 commandments what are the people doing they're making a golden calf they're dancing round it. They're saying this is what saved them. And Moses comes off the mountain from this great experience of meeting with God, and there he's seeing the people dancing round this idol, and it's all a mess, and God's anger is raised, and yet God forgives these people. The might and the wonder of God. And he gives them a tabernacle, a picture of God with them. And he gives them clothes that do not wear out over the 40 years. And the whole of Moses' story is a story of salvation, a story of preservation. It's just breathtaking. And it's breathtaking to the sense that Moses in this prayer says in in verse 24 of this chapter 3 of of Deuteronomy, he just turns round and says, For what God is there in heaven or earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? And as we hear of Moses' story, surely we have to ask the same question. Is there a God, and it's a lowercase g, is there anyone greater than God? You see, there's people in this world now who think they are greater than God, but they're going to die because they're in this world. And there's been powers and principalities that have affected the history of this world. But no one is more mighty than the Lord. Moses could not think of a greater God because he'd seen the power of the living God through salvation, through preservation. Friends, as you look back over your 2022, as you look back over your life in general, you have an experience, you have a testimony. And is there anything greater than the might and the power of God? Have you experienced anything greater than God? You see, for some of you, you're desperately and and tragically trying to look for, trying to serve something that is your greater God. And and you're just left empty. And maybe you've come here, especially this, this new year, because you want to get reconnected, because this last year you were chasing after smoke, you were chasing after fame, you were chasing after fortune, and it just doesn't satisfy, because that's a God with a little g. It will never satisfy. It will never protect you. It will never keep you safe. There may be a moment of pleasure. There may be a notion of security and wealth. But these things just fail. And friends, at the start of a new year, we have this wonderful opportunity to evaluate what has happened in the past. And those of you that are not trusting in that Jesus is your Savior, those of you that don't know the Lord God is your Heavenly Father, what has your replacement God done for you this last year? What has your replacement God done for you this last year? What has Bitcoin done for you this last year? What has alcohol or drugs or Yahoo done for you this last year? It may have brought some form of wealth. It may have brought some form of entertainment. It may have brought some momentary excitement. But it's of no eternal value. And it leaves you empty and wanting more and more. But those of you that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've gone through this last year, and you look back over it, you can trace and you can see a mighty God. You can see a God who has blessed you. You can see a God who has helped you. You can see a God who has enabled you. Yesterday evening we were privileged to hear some testimonies from friends. And often what was said was, it wasn't said we had a perfect 2022. Often it was, it's been difficult, it's been hard, but God has been with me. God has helped me through. God has been faithful. God has been mighty to answer prayers. And the only way to have a true purpose and hope is if you are believing in Jesus for your eternity. If you're believing in Jesus and his saving power and every one of you that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you know God as your Heavenly Father through Jesus, you have a history of God's saving power, and it's all over it. And God's redeeming power, God's preserving power. And your story and my story might not be as dramatic as Moses's, but friends, in one sense, it is just as amazing. It's just as incredible. You are alive and living now. You've gotten through this last year. And God has got you in the grip of his grace. And he's taking care of you. And he's looking after you. God has preserved your physical life to this point. And praise God, God has chosen you before time began. And God has saved you from your sin. You were once dead in your trespasses and your sins. Your captivity was worse than the captivity of those people that were stuck in Egypt. You are captive to sin, but God has made a way. You were in captivity, but now you're free. You have a history, and you can look back on the might and the power of God. God has done things for you that you could not do for yourself. You could not save yourself. You could not make yourself right. You couldn't have forgiveness of your sins. It's been given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look back over this last year, believing friend, I'm sure that you, in the dark moments and in the good moments, in the ups and the downs, you can see God's hand working in your life. And we can thank God for it, can't we? And you see, it's not just something to be thankful for. And last night, it was a delight to give thanks and give testimony for the things that the Lord has done over this last year. But also it gives us faith to encourage us in the coming year. God is unchanging and just as he's taken care of you and just as he took care of Moses and just as his mighty hand was at work in this last year and in history because he's the God of the history, God is the God of the future. He doesn't leave his people to language. You see, Moses was there, wasn't he? Moses had bring this supplication to God and Moses was was, was making that testimony of what a great God he is. What a perfect God he was. What a good God he is. What a powerful and mighty God he is. And then Moses was looking forward to that great promise of God's children going into the promised land and, and, and Moses was praying about that. You see, Moses knew that God is the God of the future. He wasn't just trusting God for the past. He wasn't just saying that is what God has done. He was looking forward and saying, this is what God is going to do. He had a trust and a faith because God is the God of the future. And he says it like this in his prayer. And he says, "O oh Lord God, you have only begun. Do you get that? He says, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your might. You see, Moses had recognized that God was not yet finished. There was more to go. He'd seen God's might, the arm in action. He'd seen the wonders of the of the of the, of the Dead Sea partnering. He'd seen the wonders of God humbling the Egyptians. He'd seen the amazing fact of God bringing water out of a rock in the wilderness. How does that happen? And he'd seen it. But here he is looking forward and he's saying, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness. He recognized that God was not finished. He recognized that there was immense things going on and going to happen. And in the context of the passage, the more that was going to do, the more that was going to happen is God was going to take his children into the promised land. This wasn't an empty prophecy of Moses just wanting to say some good things. This was the truth because he knew the promises of God and God had promised his people to be a great nation, hadn't he? And there they were, millions of them. From, from, from just that humble, humble beginning of Abraham and Sarah and one child, God had brought them to a point where there were millions of them there waiting to go into the promised land. But there was a promised land and they weren't there yet. And Moses knew that this was going to happen. And so Moses could pray in faith that you've only begun to show your servant your greatness. There was more ahead. There was exciting things to happen. Moses wanted to be a part of it. He badly wanted to be a part of it. Moses wanted to go into the promised land and lead the people there, but he wasn't because, as we've already heard, sin has a consequence. And that past, put an end to that. But despite the magnitude of what God had done in the past, Moses knew that there was more. And the promises of God that had not yet been fulfilled were to be fulfilled And he was looking forward for more. And that was in the context of that moment. But in the context of the Bible as a whole, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham was not just a great people. It wasn't just a land. But it was to be a blessing to all nations. And they become a great nation. And they were about to take the promised land, but it would be another thousand years plus before the fulfillment of becoming a blessing to all nations. The greater from these things was prophetic and it was looking forward and we can see it from the the wonder of the New Testament looking back on this. We can realize that some of the great things that God was going to do was not just the military might of bringing his people into the land. It was more than that. It was God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was going to come into this world so all his people could be rescued from their sins. This is the great thing. This is the greatness. This is the mighty hand of what God is going to do. He's only just beginning to show it to Moses. And Moses knew that there was more. And here we are and we're looking back and we're seeing something of the wonder of this that Christ Jesus has came into this world to save his people from their sins. We can be rescued. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins and this is God showing his absolute greatness, his absolute mighty hand. Sin The devil and death were destroyed by Christ on the cross. I was up early this morning and I saw the sun coming up. And I'd recommend you do it from time to time. Or watch it set if you prefer. And see the beauty of creation. Look at the mountains. Look at the flowers. Look at something intricate. And, and you see the beauty of creation. And that's a work of God's might and power. But friends, that is nothing. And, and, the, and God making a great nation and giving them a land is a great feat and all the providence of God that wove together for this to happen, and raising up Moses and doing this and doing that, we can see something of the greatness of God. But you know what the greatest of all is? It's the work of salvation. It is that incredible, impossible fact that us who are lost, us who are enemies with God, can be brought into God's family. We can have our sins forgiven. And this is the context of the application for us. You see, we are saved. There are those of you here this morning and you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are His and you are saved. But there's more. You see, the full promises of God haven't been fulfilled yet because those of you that are trusting in God for your salvation, we can look back those 2,000 years to the cross where the redeeming work of Christ was done. And that's amazing. It's more amazing than Moses' escape from Egypt. But our salvation has brought us a hope, not just looking back and saying thank you, but looking forward to what's to come. Our salvation has brought us into Jesus' family. Jesus is our big brother. God is our father. We are citizens of heaven, and we should be looking forward to the second coming. And Christ's work of salvation physically is complete, but we are on our journey to heaven. We are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We've been brought into God's family. We are citizens of heaven, and now we're on this pilgrimage, and we're on this journey to our promised land. Do you get the picture coming all circle now here? There was Moses. And he was waiting to go into the promised land and he was denied because of sin. And figuratively, we can think of it in our situation right now. You see, those of us that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin has been dealt with. And our entry to the promised land is secured and promised through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is going to happen because Christ died on the cross. It is going to happen because before time began, God chose us and the Holy Spirit has worked on us. And now here we are in 2023. And as we go in and as we continue in, we go on with an eternal hope or Without the room's divided, and as you go into 2023, the room is divided with those who have an eternal hope through Jesus Christ and those that don't. And friend, I wouldn't take another step into 2023 without sorting that out. If you don't know Jesus is your savior now, as I told the, the friends last night, I said, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to go into 2023. And how we can be ready to die, we can be ready to die when our sins have been dealt with by Christ on the cross. And how do we know if that's happened for us? We repent and we believe and we call upon the name of the Lord, and we humble ourselves, and we ask forgiveness, and we can be made right. But you see, for those of us that are trusting, it's like this. My grandpa, my dad's dad, had this saying. He said, keep looking up. The best is yet to come. You see, as we go into 2023, we may look on this coming year with fear and trepidation, and I'm sure some of you do. The unknown is there in front of you. What is going to happen? What is it going to work out for you? How is it going to work out for you? And we can press on, those of us that are trusting Jesus as our Savior, we can press on because of the greatness of his mighty hand. And he's got us in the grip of his grace. And the God of the history and the God of the future has a best plan for us. It's a perfect plan. It's a good, good plan. It's a plan that may have hardships, or it may have ease. It may have ups, and it may have downs. It could have joys, and it could have sorrows. It may be in health. It could be in sickness. It could be in wealth, or it could be in abject poverty. It could be in absolute success, or it could be in failure. And for the non-believer, that will define them. It will be the failure or the success that will define them. But for those of us that are trusting Christ, it means nothing. Thing, because we're going home to glory. Our hope is beyond this year. Our hope isn't in 2023. 2023 is just another year. It's another step for us going home to glory. And that's where our hope is. And that is the better thing, isn't it? That's the great thing. That is, we can look back on 2022 and say, you've only begun to show us your greatness and your mighty hand. But we can look forward to the real greatness. And 2023 could be your best or it could be your worst year. As a believer, it does not matter because you're ready. You're ready because you have hope that the best is yet to come. And 2023 may be the year that Jesus returns. And if you're a believer, you're ready. 2023 may be the year that you're called home to be with God in glory. And believing, friend, you are ready. And it could be, as I said before, the best or the worst year. And it doesn't matter. Because you're ready because the best is yet to come. Let's pray.